And we're back. After a one-week hiatus, we apologize for that, but welcome back to the Burn Down the Big Ten podcast. I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Ben Gorin. Ben, how you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. It's I'm, like it's moved into fall, which is great for football purposes. Like the last couple of weeks, you go outside and it still vaguely felt like summer. But you know those first couple of days where it's like super crisp outside and you go out there and you just need a football in your hand? Uh, that time of year is it's finally fast come, approaching. which I am more yeah. than excited for. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, you know, I, I want to apologize to our listeners. I uh, The reason we skipped last week was because I was uh, moving back from L.A. to Chicago by car. I did, I think, 60. I took the scenic route home because I wanted to visit some national parks, and I did 65 hours on the road in eight days. And when I got home, uh, for like the first two days I was home, my brain couldn't distinguish when I was sitting down between standing still and still moving like 70 miles an hour in a car. Uh, So I was writing the rundown last week for the podcast, and I just, my brain was in like three different places at once, and I couldn't do it. So Ben, I appreciate your uh, flexibility with letting us put it off for a week. And uh, anybody that missed us last week, I sincerely apologize for that. (laughs) <laughs> but we've got a lot to talk about. A lot of Big Ten we stuff do. happened uh, while we were gone. We had that um, those two games that we previewed on the last podcast ended uh, pretty interestingly. Ohio State had a pretty resounding win over Nebraska. And uh, Penn State made me look like a big stupid doo-doo head with a 59 nothing win over Maryland. So I apologize for that upset pick. Um yeah, you have a lot of apologizing to do to James Franklin and basically the entire state of Pennsylvania. No, I'm not going to do that. I'll apologize to Sean Clifford because that guy's a lot better than I gave him credit for. He, I don't think he's Trace yeah. McSorley Jr. like a lot of people have speculated early in the season, but guy can play in his own right. I will never apologize to James Franklin for anything. Um, But, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Michigan had a bit of a bounce back. We're going to talk about them a little bit, Uh, whether or not we were really impressed by that win over Iowa. Obviously, we have to discuss Ohio State moving from are they a contender to, yeah, they're a contender. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Penn State, too. And uh, not a whole lot of exciting Big Ten games this week. Ohio State being on bye is kind of unfortunate, but... We do have an interesting matchup uh, between Penn State and Iowa this weekend, another uh, one of those cross-conference games. Uh, So we're going to go over all of it. So let's get right in. Uh, We're going to start with Ohio State because obviously there's uh, two big games that we uh, need to catch up on from the last time we did the show. As I said, resounding win over Nebraska. I thought very impressive, uh, much more so than we expected. And then that Michigan State win, I mean, it's it really says something about your team when you make your game plan. We're going to target the most effective part of not just your defense, but your entire team. Michigan State's identity this year was defending the run. And, I mean, they, they outgained their entire season yards allowed on the ground in one game. It was really mm-hmm. impressive, at least from where I'm standing. Yeah. No, and like two incredibly impressive performances in a row. And to me, the more impressive one, I guess, basically because of timing was Nebraska. Uh, Even though I expected them to win that game by a gazillion points, uh, when they were going into that game, you knew that Ohio State was among the best teams. You know, certainly in the top 10, probably in the top five, but they were kind of in that contender status of, you know, are they or aren't they? But 
very, very quickly in that game, it became apparent that they're a lot better than just, you know, are they a contender? I mean, in about 15 minutes, the question became, yeah, are, is this the best team in the country? And I know Nebraska's down this year. They've got lots of problems. But going into Lincoln at night and just absolutely putting Nebraska's teeth on the curb um, was alarming. Yeah, that, that was a crazy good that, performance. That was what stood out to me the most, too, was not just that they won, but the fact that they got up early in an environment like that and they didn't let that you know sea of red really affect uh, their – their approach and ability to get started in the game, I thought was uh, very resoundingly impressive. Uh, but I do. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just so much damn talent. I mean, and it, it, when you can make that apparent so quickly in a football game that basically you're just not on the same level as your opponent, you're just a couple of classes above. Uh, it makes for really good watching for your fans and really bad watching for all the neutrals. But I mean, uh, the story of Ohio State is the story of the Big Ten this year. They're the ones that are going to drive the narrative, and rightly so, because I mean, at this point, right, like it's a disappointment if they lose a game before game fourteen, like a huge disappointment. I, I think I would agree with that. They've got, I mean, the two biggest games they have left, other than the Michigan game, obviously, are Penn State and Wisconsin, and they've got both of them at home. So I think you would expect them to come away uh, victorious in those games. Um, I will say that regarding the Nebraska game, I do think that they got a little bit lucky because that that second pick that Okuda had when he was lying on his back and he caught it off of a tip. Uh And I think they were at that point, I want to say they were either up 21 nothing or 21 to seven. But that was a really backbreaking part of the game, I think, especially because Nebraska's offense started to turn the clock back to the late 90s, and you were, you were seeing a lot of that uh, under center read option, you know, doing the little bit flip around with Adrian Martinez, and I, I I was starting to get a little bit anxious, and then that interception happened, and I think you could just kind of feel that took all the air out of the stadium, and at that point, I think Ohio State ran away with the game, but me personally, I, I was much more impressed by the Michigan State game. Um, I... I really expected Michigan State's defense to give Ohio State a little bit more of a fit in terms of rushing the ball. They they did, mm-hmm. to their credit, give them a lot of problems early in the game with pass rush. And Ohio State's pass rush in general is actually down uh, from last year. I wrote an article about this yesterday that went up on Land Grant Holy Land. And they're, they're going to need to get better in pass protection um, in the coming games, especially when they... Uh, play Penn State and Wisconsin in November, but I was I, I was just absolutely floored by the fact that they were they just looked at Michigan State and they said we're going to make a statement right here on national television on Saturday night that we're going to run the ball over absolutely anybody in our path. We don't care how good you are. We have the linemen and we have the backs to adapt to whatever you're going to throw at us. We're going to make the right reads. We're going to get into space. We're going to make the right cuts. If you're out of alignment even a little bit, we're going to make you pay. And I I was just – I came away very, very impressed. And I think that because of the way they beat Michigan State, that bodes really well for when they play Penn State and Wisconsin, who have very comparable defenses to Michigan State, I think. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State probably has the second-best defense in the Big Ten. I mean, they might have the best – defense in the Big Ten. I think I give that to Wisconsin. That metric you want to look at. I mean, they're that good on that side of the ball to this point. Um, What impressed me so much is, you know, not only can Ohio State just outman you and they're going to outman 
13 teams that they play this year. Um, but, you know, the chunk plays are big, too. And that's – I think that's – if you're an actually good offense, you know, it's more than just being efficient. It's being able to break the game open. And, you know, it, this might be unfair from the outset, but it felt like last year Ohio State was never really able to unlock their game breakers. You, know, you had Paris Campbell, and every once in a while it felt like he'd get loose and Terry McLaurin. But, you know, it didn't seem like it was happening all the time. But – especially in this game against the defense that, you know, makes you earn it. I mean, they were getting loose pretty consistently. Yeah. You know, a 67 yard touchdown run. Like, man, that's against a legit defense. That's right. saying an awful lot. Yeah. And to, to your point, I don't think that your, your point about them not really unlocking their playmakers last year, at least in the earlier parts of the season is an unfair one. I mean, Haskins was throwing to three receivers last year that all ran sub four four forties. Right, and when you look back and you think that, I mean, it's like, oh, no wonder he broke Drew Brees' touchdown records and whatnot. Right. But you would think that there would be a little bit even more there. Uh, but they have, they all ended up having solid seasons, and you're kind of seeing the same trend, I think, again with their receivers this year, which is there's such a wealth of talent that you've got to make sure that everybody eats to a certain extent. And to their credit, the five receivers this year that have caught at least 10 passes for Ohio State are all averaging over 10 yards of reception. So every time they're getting the ball, they're usually getting a first down out of it, and they've all settled into their roles really well. And I, I think it I think it bodes really well. I, I absolutely love everything I've, I've seen from Ryan Day so far, and I'm going to be curious to see what he does to kind of fix the small gaps in this team that are there uh, during their bye week. I want to ask you this, Ben, because, uh, yes. you know, you are an outsider. I am. Uh, do you think Justin Fields or Chase Young, which one of those two would you say is Ohio State's best player at this stage? Uh, these questions are always so hard. You know, Chase Chase Young and Todd McShay has him, like, up to number one, maybe even on his board. I mean, he's the stud. He's and the predator. stud in an incredibly important position. And... Yeah, I'm probably like the smart football fan in me would say like it's Chase Young because he's just he's unblockable and that unlocks so much for your defense and yada yada. But you know the dumb football fan in me is that you know of course it's the quarterback. The quarterback has to be the the best. Uh, and what Justin Fields has been able to do is just it's unreal. I mean this offense is so electric, and he's so clearly the perfect person for it. You know Haskins was great. But that extra dimension that you get out of Justin Fields' legs, is just, you, there's no replacing it. It makes J.K. Dobbins better. It makes all the wide receivers better. It probably makes the defense better because they can control the ball better if they wanted to win a game that way. I, I feel like it has to be the quarterback, but that's nothing against you know, Chase Young, who might be the best defender in the country. It's an awfully good problem to have, I guess, right. trying to determine which two I wouldn't even call it a problem. I just think it's a fun well thing to discuss. what they do. Right. I, I just think it's a fun thing to discuss. I wouldn't even call it a problem. Yeah, I yeah, would, yeah. Uh, I'd probably say Chase Young just because I think Smart Chase Young me. is about as complete a player as you'll find. I don't think there's a single weakness in that guy's game. Fields still has some room for improvement. He does have a bit of a tendency to hold the ball too long. He is incredible at sensing where when a rush is coming in using his like first step to fake a defender that's eager to get a sack on him and mm-hmm. just deking them into a move that ends up letting him spin out and roll out and create more time for the play but the problem is when he does that he tends to have 
a little bit of overconfidence in himself in terms of being able to make the big play every single yeah. time. And he's taken a lot of unnecessary sacks because of that. And it's, I think, part of the reason why Ohio State's uh, pass protection numbers this season aren't nearly as good as they were last season, which is a little bit surprising considering you would think that you get a quarterback with a little bit more pocket mobility than Dwayne Haskins had, you would think he'd be able to avoid the rush a little bit better. But that hasn't really been the case so far through the game. Mm-hmm. So I would, I think Fields definitely has the potential to be better by the end of the season. But I would say right now, Chase Young, I mean, that he could play in the NFL. He could leave school tomorrow and play in the NFL right now. See, I think Fields could do the same exact thing. Really? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, of course, there, there are growing pains with any quarterback, but, I mean, if you put him in a decent offensive system in the NFL, like, I mean, is Russell Wilson that unfair of a comparison right now? Russell Wilson's kind of a savant of his own making, man. Right. But you know, <laughs> I think Fields it's, a, has I a think lot it's of an that. apt comparison. Yeah. I mean, I think Fields has a lot of that in him. And, you know, he's, he's wasting his time playing in college at this point. I mean, you know, maybe that changes when he plays, you know, an NFL defense in the college football playoff. But, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, I don't think you can look any better than how he's looked at this point in the no, year against some legitimate teams. Right. Um, well, let's let's bring up one quick thing before we move on because I know we were talking about Nebraska and Michigan State. Uh, I know we like talking about hot seats here, and yes. I, you know, Nebraska just beat Northwestern. I'm sorry, sure did. Uh, you know, 13 to 10 at home. Oh, Definitely was by no means. It, it really looked like those two teams were trying to give each other the victory. I mean, it was electric. like they were just pa- Northwestern and, and Nebraska were just passing the gun back and forth to each other and shooting each- themselves in the foot <laughs> that whole game. Uh, but and I mean, Scott Frost, I mean, this team just does not look impressive. But the question I want to ask you is, do you think he or Mark D'Antonio has the hotter seat at this point? And I, I do want to point out for D'Antonio's sake, he did just become the all time winningest coach at Michigan State. But at this stage, I believe they're uh, four and two, and their—I mean, their next schedule coming up is rough. I mean, they're—they're they're playing. I think three of their next four games, at least, are against ranked teams, and yep. you're—I don't expect them to win a single one. I know they play Wisconsin this weekend. That's—they're playing at Wisconsin. That's going to be a loss. I mean, they're very easily looking at a situation where Michigan State is not bowl eligible. If they make any more mistakes the rest of the way in games that they should win, and then right after that, D'Antonio is going to have to go do a deposition about a scholarship that he offered to uh, – I'm trying to find the right words for this – a a guy that should not have been on campus by any means whatsoever, a guy that had had a bunch of red flags with regards to sexual assault and whatnot – um, so, you know, given the cloud that's hanging over Michigan State with respect mm-hmm. to that, who do you think between the two of them has the hotter seat right now? Uh, it's like kind of a denial of the question, but I don't think either of them are really on the hot seat right now. Yeah. I think that Scott Frost has so much institutional support around him and so much was basically given to him before he ever stepped on campus that, you know, there's no way that they're going to cut ties with him just yet. He's going he's gonna to get a little bit more time. And it make no mistake, everyone there has to be crazy disappointed with how the experiment has gone to this point. Um, but, you know, he's going to get an, he's at least another year. There's just no chance that they send him up, send him away uh, after this year. And the D'Antonio thing is kind of like equally, to me, at least like equally not happening. Because, 
I don't Michigan State's athletic department, if they cared, they would have done something. They would have done That's something a, a long point. time ago. That's and a good point. Probably would have done something to their basketball program too if they cared. Um, but everything to this point doesn't suggest that that's something that they're interested in doing. Where you know maybe D'Antonio would kind of lose his clout is if they did not make a bowl game, but they will. They have four wins now, and they play three bad teams, or two bad teams in Maryland. So you know, odds are they'll get to a bowl game this year, and they'll more or less be fine. So I, I really don't think it's happening for either as, you know, someone sitting in a different seat. I mean, I'd love to see D'Antonio leave. Um, but I, I really think both of them are fine for at least another season, which is kind of bizarre. But that's kind of the weird situation where both of those people have found themselves in. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not really sure who would replace either one of them at this stage, especially if you fire Frost this yeah, early in his tenure. You just can't yeah. do it. Yeah, even at the end of the season, I think it's like you people would be calling for the AD's head at Nebraska. Yeah. I think if he did that to a certain extent, just because it's it's like you have no idea what you're doing in terms. Of, you have to commit to something or some sort of right. plan. And I mean, Frost is probably about as good a coach as you can hit your wagon to. I think in the game, um, yeah, or at least in college football right so now. So I think but, you know one of the important. Ahead. Now, because we're, we're kind of in hot seat season, I'd say at this point, right? Like, you know, Lovey is basically out the door and some coordinators are maybe out the door. And, you know, it feels like we're approaching that time of the year. You know, yeah, ultimately, the whether or not a coach gets fired has nothing to do with their performance. It has everything to do with the amount of support or the amount of the, the lack of support that the institution and the boosters give to them. I think both of these coaches have as much support as you can possibly have, which is going to keep them where someone like Lovey Smith is done. I mean, there's no chance that that guy comes back because he doesn't have uh, the support behind him. And that's whenever these conversations happen, it's not, it's never going to be about, well, this team is bad and they should be good. Or, you know, this coach is a bad guy and he really shouldn't be teaching 18 to 22 year olds. It's just a question of what the ADs and the people paying the AD salary want. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. All right, let's move on then. Uh, so we were very not nice to Michigan on the last show. It's true. And, you know, understandable. They yes. looked like hot doo-doo against Wisconsin they two did. weeks ago. <laughs> but since then, uh, they beat up on uh, the Big Ten's whipping boy Rutgers 52 nothing at Congratulations. home. Congratulations. And then they had a big game against Iowa last week, which was, I got to be honest, one of the more unpalatable college football games I've ever watched. Straight straight up not watchable at all. Yeah. It was, I I believe Michigan's score went up 10-0 with eight minutes and 33 seconds left in the first quarter. Iowa kicked a field goal on the next drive, and then nobody scored any points after that. What a game. It was bad um but i'm curious did were you impressed at all by that win that michigan had Uh, no (laughs) i mean they picked themselves (laughs) off the mat and that's honestly worth a lot because i think we kind of wasted a lot of breath a couple shows ago talking about how they could just lay down and roll over and this could all go very sideways very quickly so you know the fact that that hasn't happened is honestly it's a great credit to jim harbaugh because this team could have quit 
But no, you can't be impressed with what you saw on the football field. You can't be impressed with anything. It's just it's an abysmal game. I'm not even sure how impressed you can be with the defense. I mean, it was just one of those unwatchable Big Ten West contests that just you know make you want to put your head in the toilet. Nothing about this was fun. And it's just yeah, this Charbonnet yeah. kid can be good, but you know it feels like he's playing well. And then you look at the stats, and he rushed for like 40 yards on 20 carries. Like there's just you, you had nothing a, happening on offense. Nothing. You had a tweet a couple weeks ago about how nobody runs the force of pass interference offense better than Northwestern does, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's kind of the direction that this Michigan offense is heading <laughs> in because you see, like you know, I think Charbonnet's good, but. With the fumbling problems they've had this year, there there's no consistency in the effectiveness of their running game. And uh, Shea Patterson has been wildly inaccurate on some of these throws. Mm-hmm. And when they, whenever they're going deep, the the receivers have never beaten their matchups. They're always either it's always either Donovan Peoples Jones, or uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank on their uh, Nico. Nico I'm Collins, drawing yeah. a blank on the yeah Nico Collins. They're they're going up and either trying to make a contested catch. Or they're getting pass interference on them, and that's the only way that they can move the ball. So when you understand that that's what their offensive approach is, it's easy to understand why they don't score any offensive points in a game after the eight thirty mark in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, another thing about why I'm not as impressed with this by Michigan. I mean, I picked Iowa to win the Big Ten West, and How's that looking? they're off. Their offensive line on Saturday was about as abysmal as you can look. And I I remember earlier in the season, I was throwing heaps of praise on them for the everybody had their assignments in place in their early games, and they were executing textbook blocking assignments. I was incredibly impressed. They looked completely out of sorts every time Michigan sent additional pressure at them on Saturday. And against all the other teams that they play that have talented defenses that are going to do that, I just do not see how they're going to be able to compete in the Big Ten West against the premier peop- the premier contenders the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's like what Mike Tyson always says, right? Like, everyone has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. It's right. very good. It's very easy to look good when you go down competition, but... You know, when you play a bunch of real guys on the other side of the ball, your flaws get exposed pretty quickly. And if there's anything outside of, you know, Ohio State's really damn good that we've learned from the Big Ten this year, it's that in the Big Ten West, there's Wisconsin, and then there's the Marianas Trench, and then there's the rest of the Big Ten West. And they're just so clearly a cut above. And this was a chance for Iowa to make a case that you know, maybe they could compete with Wisconsin, and they did not pass that test at all. Not at all. No, and I the other interesting thing I thought, and to your point about Michigan State's defense not looking totally effective, was it seemed like the the rhythm of this game was Iowa would get momentum on offense, they would drive into Michigan territory, they would get to around the 40 or 30, and then they would commit just an absolutely boneheaded mistake, whether it would be a, a dumb interception on a deep attempt or or just a breakdown in pass protection that gets them sacked out of field goal range and then they can't get any points. But it was still, you you saw Michigan turn up their defensive urgency when Iowa got into their territory, but it seemed like Iowa for pretty much the entirety of the game was able to get into the Michigan part of the field pretty much on every drive, which makes it really, really 
unusual, I think, that they were only able to get three points out of that game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ben Don't Break is an awfully successful kind of game plan. And it might be selling the Michigan the big at least a little bit. I mean, there is there were some like long drives that ended in punts, but there was some a lot. There are plenty of short drives sprinkled among there as well. And, you know, having 60 penalty yards didn't help Iowa either. I think kind of like one of the important things when you try and break down a game like this is that when both defenses are so in control, you just can never find a rhythm offensively. And that just kind of seems to always build on itself. You know, two stalled drives becomes four, becomes five, becomes six, and it just kind of grinds to a halt. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Yep. Well, we're going to do a more uh, in-depth look at uh, Michigan's going to Happy Valley next weekend to take on Penn State. Um, But before we move on to talk about Penn State, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that game at the uh, outset. Um, The Iowa-Penn State game? Uh, No, Michigan-Penn State. Sorry. okay. Um, Gosh, I mean, it should be be Penn State's game, right? I mean – there's nothing that I've seen that makes me want to assume that Michigan is going to be any good. Uh, Shea Patterson has to be probably one of the most disappointing players in college football this year. I mean, if anyone was expecting Michigan to do anything is because Shea Patterson was going to improve over his performance last year. And he's probably gotten worse. Penn state turns out is pretty good. And I just, I don't want to put anything on Michigan right now. Yeah, if you're if you're one of the people that uh, put any stock into Shea Patterson's preseason Heisman campaign, I'm I'm sorry to tell you that that's not happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would think that it's pretty. You would have to imagine Penn State's going to pretty resoundingly win that. We'll see how they do against Iowa yep. this weekend, and we're going to talk about that. But the fact that they're at home in Happy Valley, and you you see a lot of. Um, you know, just based on how Michigan did when they were um, at Camp Randall in Wisconsin, I mean, you would have to think that they're not going to be able to perform up to the standards they need to in a road environment, especially one as rowdy as Happy mm-hmm. Valley. But we'll get to that next weekend. Uh, let's talk about Penn State. So, as I said in the beginning of the show, I didn't respect them based on their first three games. I thought that Maryland was going to upset them. And then they just kicked the living shit out of the Turtles. It was ugly. There was a great still of a Maryland fan. I think after uh, Maryland turned the ball over for the second time in the first quarter, where this this poor fan just had one strand of hair running down the middle of their, their head while they were just staring into the ground like, what the hell did I just give up my Friday night to come watch? I mean, it was bad 59 nothing so i sincerely apologize for that pick you're a penn state fan i should have respected you guys a little bit more their offense is much better than i give them credit for i thought there was going to be a pretty significant drop off once trace mcsorley left given i thought he's really really close in terms of skill level to baker mayfield and certainly in play style and you just don't have a lot of guys that can replicate that although to be fair baker mayfield has not been very good in the nfl right. this season but He's this garbage. is a college football prop podcast Johnny he is hot Carry on. trevor simeon is better than him on one ankle and you hear um but <laughs> um but sean clifford i mean that guy can play i i watched penn state iowa um 
and I, I did not know the guy had a zone read fake like he does. Uh, that that guy was deking the cameraman out the whole game. He faked me out about two or three times when I was uh, watching on the cell. So I was I was very impressed. That's a powerful thing. Um, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about their offense so far? I I didn't expect them to be as explosive. I think most people anticipated they were going to have a good defense, but their their offenses look really really good. Yeah, I, think, I mean they over the last they've got playmakers, years. and that seems to be something that James Franklin is able to continually continually keep in his program. I mean, you even think about the guys who have come through already. You know, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, but you know, now it's KJ Hamler who's just so much to take on the outside. And they get enough from that Clifford that's all like going to work win. out. Um, Penn State's really impressive. I, I'm still kind of hesitant on them in terms of, you know, is this a team that can really punch up? We know they can punch down now. Um, but, you know, can they take that up a level? I'm not sure yet. I think that the defense really is good. Um, I think that there's still reasons to be concerned about, you know, Clifford playing against a great team. But... Penn State has certainly been the second-best team in the East, and that's nothing to sneeze at. But I don't know. When I was thinking about that um, Penn State-Maryland game, it kind of taught me a lesson that I seem to forget several times a year in college football, which is that you know there are probably between 25 and 30 teams each year who don't suck. And the remaining 90 teams are <laughs> some variant of suckful. And Maryland has a tendency to suck. And they went up against a team that doesn't suck, and they got their teeth kicked in. I don't know. I, like that, that might not always be right, but I feel like this happens all the time, where a team has to really perform against a team that's a tier above them, and it almost never seems to work out. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a pretty decent litmus test in terms of uh, judging that sort of thing. Um. Yeah, I'm not. I have no faith in Maryland any further. And I, th- I think also if you watch that Purdue game, uh, this past weekend, then you're, you're a- anybody who was still on the Boilermaker train needs to get off because that, no, that there are no Boilermakers going left anywhere. at this point. They're all hurt. <laughs> when you take away yeah. Sindelar and Rondell Moore, it turns out they're a very bad football team. Not that they were that good beforehand. Oh wow! I didn't even realize Moore was hurt. Wow. Yeah, that would, that would explain yes. only seven points, I guess, uh, against Penn State. But to be fair, I mean, their defense is really good. Uh, they they stuffed the run about as well as anybody in the country, uh, certainly comparable with Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, but their, their pass rush, too. I mean, if you watch that was if you watch that Purdue game this past weekend, I mean, any time that they were bringing additional pressure on third down, they were getting in the backfield and they were taking plummet yep. down. Um, and th- yeah, they I I think that they're probably going to make that game against Ohio State a lot more competitive than people realize just because of that. I I don't I can't really speak on their their secondary or on their linebackers, but that front on their defense is legit and if they're bringing heat they're probably going to get you so you know kudos to penn state they're they're definitely if they beat ohio state i think that they're definitely in the driver's seat for the big 10 east and i think they have a little bit more dynamic to their offense than wisconsin does and if they end up meeting in the big 10 championship i think i would have to favor a penn state team that's taken down ohio yeah, state that's to be such honest. a long way away though i mean they're going to be at least a touchdown and a half underdog against Ohio State, I feel like. 
Maybe. I mean, we're a month away at this yeah. point. So, I mean, uh, we haven't seen anything that is going to indicate that Ohio State's going to dial back their game. I mean, maybe Northwestern Come gives on. them a run for their money next weekend. But, you know. <laughs> hey, Don't man. do this to me. Uh, I've seen Ohio State lose in Evanston no, we, before. So, I, what, like I have not. You know. Yeah. Randy yeah, Walker. Yeah, that was when the team's fun. <laughs> this team no, isn't it fun. It turns out that they are the opposite of fun. They're we'll, anti-fun. We'll, we'll 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 let you get Thank into you. that later, I guess. Um, but yeah, okay, all right. So Penn State is kind of legit. Uh, well, not kind of legit. They are legit. What am I saying? Um, let me let me wrap then our Penn State discussion with this question. Um, in recent years, Penn State's definitely, I think, stepped their profile up as a program back from. You know, when they took a step back with the Sandusky thing and uh, pater- uh, paternal leaving and passing. Um, but I think they're definitely back among that, you know, Big Ten elite standing now. And with Michigan wilting a bit, you know, for so long in this conference, Ohio State Michigan has been the de facto Big Ten championship. Or now that we've got divisions, the de facto Big e- Big Ten East championship. But with Michigan wilting and Penn State, you know, kind of proving that they're going to, you know, be able to hang around under the Franklin program, would you say Ohio State Penn State is the new Big Ten East championship as opposed to the oh, yeah, Ohio 110%. State Michigan game? I mean, there's no question. There's no question at this point that Penn State's the second best no team. Question. I do think that there's also no question that Penn State can't. All right. Compete well, let's Ohio get to State. our last subject then. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, it's kind of a slow weekend in uh, Big Ten football for. Uh, October 12th, Rutgers is at Indiana. Whoopee! Uh, Maryland is at Purdue. So, you know, if you're in the state of Indiana this weekend, you've, get, you've got the two hottest teams in the Big Ten uh, coming to That's your state right. to play some football. Uh, Absolutely. Michigan's at Illinois. I would like to think Lovey is maybe able to salvage his job with a win this weekend, but, I mean, there's... That's nice of you. I, I would love to see a Brandon Peters revenge game. That would be very, very fun. And that it would, would be, be very, sick. very funny. That would be very cool. But it's probably not going to happen. Um, Michigan State is at Wisconsin. That's going to be a walloping, I would have to imagine. I mean, based on the fact that you just saw Ohio State run over Michigan State, I don't think there's any reason to expect that Wisconsin, who is very much Jonathan Taylor or bust, is going to have any problems at home in that one. And uh, Nebraska's at Minnesota, but, you know, who cares? Uh, You know, big-time Big Ten West game there if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) And all that leaves is a primetime matchup on ABC at 7.30 Central between Penn State and Iowa. Uh, The Nittany Lions will be traveling to Iowa. Uh, So I think Iowa maybe at least has a little bit of a chance because of that nighttime environment out in the cornfields. But... You know, we just we just heaped a bunch of praise on Penn State, and uh, we, did. we we did not like Iowa in the previous segment we did regarding their performance against Michigan. So, but let's let's assume for a moment that Iowa is going to pull this one out. How are Ooh. they going to go about doing that, Ben? They're going to shorten the game. The way that they win this football game is they make it as short as possible, as few possessions as possible, and the margin as small as possible. I think if you let Penn State get the chunk plays, it's kind of over. But if Iowa can string together some of those very Iowa football drives of like 
15 plays, 75 yards, eight and a half minutes, and it like ends in a field goal. If they can get, you know, two or three of those, that's how they end up winning this game. It's going to be a defensive struggle. I do not expect there to be a lot of points in this game, but you know, that's, it's a very Iowa formula for how you beat a team that's better than you. And it's a formula that Iowa, if nothing else, is going to be familiar with because it tends to be how they like to win a lot of football games. But they're going to have to be efficient, not explosive. And Nate Stanley has to keep care of the football because if he throws three picks again, this is going to be a rout. Yeah, they're going to have to keep the ball on the ground if they want to win and play pretty effective ball control. I mean, there's there's nothing that you would, uh, based on the game that they had last weekend, you can't have any faith in that passing game. If they fall behind, Mm -hmm. I think that it's probably going to get away from them pretty quickly. But if they're able to, you know, if Penn State stumbles out of the gate like they did in, you know, their their previous games prior to the bye, I would say that this is pretty easily the best defense that they've played uh, coming out of the bye and probably in their schedule throughout the entire year so far this season. Yeah, um, probably true. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they perform in a road nighttime environment like that, where I would expect the Iowa fans to be rowdy. Um, yeah. But yeah, if I was able to make them capitalize on some early mistakes and you know play ball control and keep it out of Sean Clifford's hands, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to think that they would win this game. And I, I do think that there's something to them playing at home that gives them a little bit more of a boost. I think that that you know it's never easy to go into the big house and win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, road road games in the Big Ten are pretty tough yeah. by and large about everywhere. I it's would always say. hard. So it's yeah, there's 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 no easy victories in this conference, but there are no there are very few victories that are easy on the eyes. And yeah, this is probably going to be another <laughs> one of those, uh, you know, bloodbath games where not much happens. And yeah, it's yeah. Three yards and a the cloud Big Ten of dust, seems but. to have a monopoly on games that are terrible to watch, but on national TV between two good teams. Yeah, this is going to be another one of those. And you wonder why the conferences are perceived the way they are when uh, yeah. all their national <laughs> televised games end in you know final scores of thirteen to three or ten to three or seventeen fourteen or just gross gross yes. lines. Um, keys to victory for Penn State. Uh, I think the obvious one is just you know send the rush at Iowa's lackluster offensive line and you're probably going to get enough pressure on them where they're not going to be able to do anything. Um, They need to take the runaway. We haven't seen anything Mm -hmm. to this point that would indicate that Penn State's not going to be able to do that. They've pretty much neutralized the rushing attack of everybody they've played to this point. Um, But I don't know. What else do you think Penn State is going to need to do other than that in order to win? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of the inverse of, of Iowa. I think they need to get their playmakers in space on the edge. They're going to have an athlete an athlete advantage out there. So, you know, lighter players be in a position where they can make plays, get the chunk plays. And then on the other side of the ball, it's like you said, you know, get Iowa behind the stakes. And Penn State's going to have the horses to do that. You know, whether it's swallowing the run game, whether it's bringing extra pressure, whether it's just beating Iowa with four, if you can get Iowa off their spot, that's exactly where you need them. I was not a team that's going to turn a lot of second and 15s into first and 10s. It's just not what they're built to do. That's uh, that's a good way to put it. 
I, I like that. Uh, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't you. see them being able to put together a bunch of chunk plays. And you know, when you're when you're in these games, I mean, you know, there's not a big chasm between these two. They're both ranked in the top twenty. But when you're wanting to pull off an upset like that, uh, you you definitely need to be able to convert those big plays. And we haven't really seen much big playability from Iowa this mm-hmm. season. Uh, predictions. Final score. What do you think? Oh man, I haven't looked at the line, so this is gonna hurt. Oh yeah. Um, That's the... Gosh. I'll Give look me it up Penn for you. State twenty-seven, Iowa thirteen. Twenty-seven, thirteen. Yeah. That's, that's Lots decent. of field goals. Special teams. Oh my. Uh, I don't. Okay. I'm looking at Odd Shark right now, and I, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but they're predict are in terms of line. This can probably change. Uh, right now their predicted final score is 32 27 which seems that's a lot of points yeah that's that's pretty high to me um i definitely don't think that i think probably something in the wheelhouse of 20 to 10 is more likely um i would expect penn state to win by multiple scores i don't expect iowa to score a lot of points maybe they get in the end zone once uh but i would expect penn state to kind of have a similar script to what their script was against Purdue, which was they take an early lead, you know, on maybe a couple explosive plays and uh, they, you know, kind of just do ball control from there. Don't really get a lot of more points after those initial explosive plays, but mm-hmm. they do enough to hold off a uh, desperate Hawkeye team. That's going to need a win in order to stay competitive. And um yeah, they, they hold off the Iowa faithful uh, out in the corn as well. So I, I'm i taking Penn State like you. I think it might be a little bit closer, a little bit lower scoring than Penn State getting 27. But certainly I don't expect a 32 to 27 final score. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we mentioned, you know, Nebraska's 13 to 10 victory over Northwestern yes. this past weekend. Uh, ben. Let Mick McCall have it. Oh man, dude, I'm like I'm out of energy. I'm just How? like so done with it. Like you get a five star quarterback and you bench him for the guy who has like five interceptions in garbage time. And you know, maybe it's because Hunter Johnson's hurt or whatever, but like, oh it's just I can't take it anymore. It's quite literally the biggest difference between offensive SP rating and defensive SP rating in the history of SP ratings. Like Northwestern is the mirror image of Pat Mahomes, Texas tech team. (laughs) That's how good their defense is. And that is how bad their offense is, which is just so, I mean, I mean, I, I know I'm talking to myself basically because no one gives a shit. No one really should give a shit. These opinions need to be voiced. That's right. It's just like, it's so beyond the pale. And what I do think might be interesting is I, again, try and make this relevant for people outside of Evanston is that for like the first time, the national media is kind of realizing what's happening in Northwestern. And yeah, it's not like, it's not like sports center anchors are talking about how Mick McCall is an idiot, but it's, it's moved outside of the Northwestern ecosystem to the point where, you know, Pat Fitzgerald making an ass out of himself on television has unintentionally made people realize that he has let his offense rot on the vine for a decade. 
which is not something that Northwestern has ever had to deal with before because there's no such thing as institutional pressure at this school. And there's actually, like, for the first time in a very long time, a real chance that McCall actually doesn't come back next, next year, which is cool. So I hope Northwestern loses every game until then so they can actually just get him out of town. That'd be well, great. Pat Fitzgerald, at least based on the, the few things that I've heard, seems pretty firmly committed to McCall. So, so if he's... Well, what I want to ask you is, if, if he's still in his corner by the end of the season, do you still think that they get rid of him? That's So ultimately, if Fitz wants McCall to stay, McCall will stay. It really is that simple. And, you know, anyone who covers Northwestern will tell you this. Northwestern could go 0-12 next year and probably the year after, and no one would call for Pat Fitzgerald's job. Not a single person. Like, that's how safe he is. That's how much he means to Northwestern, where it's his decision against everything else. I think that at some point soon, Mick McCall will not be worth the headache to Pat Fitzgerald. I think we're almost there. If McCall bails himself out and gets a big win at some point on the rest of the year, you know, whether it's Ohio State or something that's actually in this realm of possibility, hey, man. Um, that'll probably be enough for Fitz to, to keep him around. But and the base is growing um, in a way it hasn't done before. And I think if Fitz was being honest with himself, he'd realize that Mick McCall is making him look really stupid. And when Fitzgerald realizes that, that'll be Mick McCall's last day. Well, I hope it comes sooner rather too, than later. Man. I'm sick I, of this. I don't know what the expectations are for the Ohio State game, which will Losing be the weekend after this points. coming one. Uh, then they play Iowa after that. Uh, they host Iowa, so yeah. I don't think that I don't anticipate that. I think that's a winnable game just because of how inept we've seen Iowa's sure. offense of late, and they're not going to play well on the road. And right. as you said, if there is one thing Northwestern has, it's a pretty impressive defense. Um, after that, they play at Indiana. They host Purdue. Uh, they host UMass. I would expect. I mean, Rutgers no, beat a- UMass. So yeah, you so it's expect a joke them to beat of the, the, doors of off, the end of the schedule. Like if they're going to be one in six, and bowl eligibility is one hundred and ten percent still in play, especially for a program that really only needs five because they're on top of APR. So Northwestern, if they're five and seven, will be the first team in if there are not enough spots taken. Well, so then let's run with that. So if Northwestern doesn't make a bowl, do you think McCall gets axed? If Northwestern doesn't make a bowl, I think McCall is gone, especially if they lose to Illinois. If Illinois is the eighth loss of the year, I think McCall leaves. I think if they're five and seven and they go to a bowl game and they win that bowl game, I think McCall comes back. Well, I will hold out hope for you, my friend, that that does not happen because you and the Northwestern faithful deserve it. Um, all right. Well, that's about it for this week. Uh, before we depart, do you have any upset predictions or final thoughts on any of those other games we alluded to earlier on? Yeah, keep an eye on Michigan State, Wisconsin. I think that game is going to really? be a lot closer than than you think it will. I think I think uh, Michigan State is is decently well prepared to handle a pretty vanilla rushing attack, and you know, they're going to choke the life out of that game. And Wisconsin's not a team that really has what it takes to hang 40. So I think Michigan State's going to hang around. 
you know, whether Lewerke actually makes a I think play cut to out a little get bit him over again. the top remains to be seen. But I think that's the game to keep half an eye on. That's fair. Um, you know, I, I still think just based on the way Michigan State lost last week that Wisconsin will have their way at home. Um, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Michigan State, to a certain extent, wants to bounce back and feels that, you know, they're going to need to put up a better showing than they did last week. And even though I think for, you know, about the first half of the game that they were, you know, doing fine. Um, I, I Look, I'm, I, I'm not going to say that there's going to be an upset, especially after how bad the Maryland thing went. But I, I'm telling you, man. If Lovey feels the heat about his job the way that you're saying, and mm-hmm. Brandon Peters is motivated, again, Brandon Peters might be the best Michigan quarterback in the Big Ten. I they're hosting Michigan. I know it's a noon game. I, it would be better if it was a. I'd be feeling better about the upset pick if it was a night game, especially after how Illinois handled Nebraska at home. But. I think that that's one to keep an eye on. That's definitely I don't I don't know right. what other games are going on in the stratosphere, um, but uh, around the noon block on Saturday. But if I'm watching a Big Ten game, Michigan Illinois is easily my pick that, uh, is, that I want to watch. That is some high risk real estate that you've just invested in. I hope it works out for you. I didn't pick them to upset. I'm just saying I think it'll be an entertaining game because of that little narrative there with Peters and Michigan and with Lovey Smith needing some sort of victory to hang his hat on in order to keep some sliver of job security. I hope you're right. So could be interesting. It's on ABC. Oh, so, god really? damn. Is it's, it really? Holy shit. It really Who is. Who the hell is going to be watching that game? <laughs> <laughs> That's so messed up. The Illini faithful are going to bring the TV ratings. That's in, what we got. <laughs> what on earth is the noon slate that the, that makes the national TV? That's well, Penn State Iowa had to be the night game. Golly, is that not Scream Eleven AM Big Ten Network? That's why the Eleven AM slot on Big Ten Network was invented. Well, but they've got Rutgers, Indiana, and Maryland, Purdue. This so I mean, geez, one of those man. clown car games has to occupy that slot. This is a so. brutal slate this week. This is not a fun weekend. I, it's Just, one of the. I I was pretty devastated when I realized Ohio State was on by this week. There's and nothing then to I do. Looked at the slate and I was, yeah, it's, to watch. Uh, it's Just sleep in. Yeah, until Read that Penn State Iowa game. It, yeah, but all right. Well, you should still tune in anyway. <laughs> and uh, we want to thank you all once again for listening to the Burn Down the Big Ten podcast. Uh, I don't plan on doing any trans country or continental traveling this week so i believe that we should uh be back next week to go over everything uh ben and i are both going to be tending the ohio state northwestern game next weekend not together but i'm sure we'll rendezvous at some point we'll both be there so it's going to be a heated show next week even though ben has no confidence in northwestern or mick mccall it's going to (laughs) be heated and live so come back for that Thank you very much for listening this week, and uh, we'll be back in your ear next Friday morning. So take care.